Ignition sequence start. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Spaceboat Messier podcast. My name is Tony, your host, and today we'll be talking about part two of the climate change conversation. Uh, today we'll mainly be focusing on long-term effects and the solution. First thing I'd like to do is give a shout out to Carson Spicer. He is our, uh, he's a longtime listener of the podcast, but he's our newest uh, Patreon supporter today. And Carson, you'll be getting a shirt as well. I sent you a message um, to just double check your address, so check that out. Uh, if anybody else wants to support this podcast for up to a dollar a month, um, you can find us at patreon.com slash Um So thank you. Thank you, Carson. Thank us a lot. So last episode, we learned of uh, the evidence and supposed causes of climate change as reported by NASA. And it's a great primer for this episode. So if you haven't heard it yet, I highly recommend going back. Once again, the majority of this information in this episode is taken and sometimes quotes directly from nasa.gov, just so you're aware. Um, so let's dive in. Global climate change has already had observable effects to the environment. Among the few, uh, we have glaciers that have shrunk, ice on rivers and lakes is breaking up earlier in the year, plant and animal ranges have shifted, and trees are flowering sooner because, well, the temperature is hotter earlier in the year. Effects that scientists had predicted in the past would result from climate change are now occurring, like loss of sea ice, accelerated sea level, ri uh, sorry, accelerated sea level rise, and longer, more intense heat waves. So some of the future effects, if you know, scientists are thinking about it now, I'm talking about our future, according to the third and fourth national climate assessment reports, some of the long-term effects of global climate change in the U.S. are temperatures continuing to rise. Uh, change that will continue through this century beyond. Uh, Frost-free season and growing seasons will lengthen. Changes in precipitation patterns like more rain, sleet, hail, and snow in some areas. Uh, more drought and heat waves in others. You know, not only it's not only getting hotter everywhere. You know, we know that rain, sleet, hail, and snow makes things colder. It's not the exact heat in these places, but it's the extreme weather. So, as opposed and in contrast to the precipitation patterns some areas will get hotter. So droughts in the southwest and heat waves um, everywhere are projected to become more intense and cold waves are less intense places as well. Summer temperatures are projected to continue rising and a reduction of soil moisture, which kind of exacerbates heat waves, is projected for much of the western and central U.S. in the summer. And by the end of the century, uh, what have once been... Uh, or rather what has been like a once in 20 year extreme heat, uh, these like one day events that used to happen once every 20 years, they're projected to occur every two or three years. Uh, and, and NASA has the data on this. They, they have been trusted with uh, gathering all this data and, and things like that um, over the years. And if, and if you don't trust them, like I said, this podcast may not be for you, but we do have the data. Some other things that we think are going to happen are hurricanes will become stronger and more intense. Um, the sea level will rise because of the melting of glaciers um, one to four feet by 2100. Two, 2100? I don't even know how to say that year. But global sea rise has seen about eight inches since we've been keeping record in 1880. And it's projected to rise another one to four feet. Um, and like I said, the melting of these these like hard uh, land ice and and uh, expansion of seawater as it warms is is due to this. So uh, in the next several decades, storm surges and high tides could combine with this high sea level rise 
um, to increase flooding. Sea level rise will continue past that point uh, because oceans take a super long time to respond to warmer conditions. And um, oceans water, ocean waters will therefore continue to warm and sea level will continue to rise for many centuries because of what we're doing now. Uh, that's the thought anyway. And um, the Arctic Ocean is expected to become essentially ice-free in summer before the mid-century. So before 2050, we're thinking no more ice in the summer. Now, I know that was a lot. It's kind of exploded all that, but it's a lot of things that they think will happen. Um, now, regionally in the U.S., um, in the Northeast, they think that they're going to have, you know, heat waves, heavy downpours, sea level rise, um, and this will affect, you know, ecosystems, agriculture, fisheries, things like that. In the Northwest, over here by Washington and Oregon, they'll also have sea level rise, erosion, increasing wildfire, uh, insect outbreaks, uh, tree diseases, and that'll cause like trees to die off and things like that. In the Southeast, over there by Florida and, and all those states, uh, sea level rise will affect the nation's economy or the region's economy and environment heavily. Um, you know, the heat will affect health, energy, agriculture, and then decreased water availability will have huge impacts on their society. In the Midwest, they'll also have extreme heat, heavy downpours, flooding. This will affect everything, uh, like we've said, health, agriculture, forestry, transportation, air and water quality. Um, and the climate change is actually, it's also, um, we're also thinking it will exacerbate a range of risks to the Great Lakes as well. Now in the Southwest, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, California, increased heat, drought, insect outbreaks, uh, these are all linked to climate change. Um, and they'll increase our susceptibility to wildfires. Now, we're also going to have declining water supplies, uh, reduce agricultural yields, health impacts in cities that due to heat and flooding and erosion um, uh, provide additional concerns. So every region will be affected um, differently, but overall people in the in, uh, United States will have hotter temperatures or extreme storms um, and effects to agriculture and health. Now, that, that was kind of the, the finishing of last episode. I, I kind of wanted to, to just kind of finish the kind of the dangers, but this episode, I really want to focus on the solutions. Um, so NASA is an expert in climate and earth science. And while its role is not to set climate policy or prescribe particular responses or solutions to climate change, its purview does include providing the robust scientific data needed to understand climate change and evaluating the impact of efforts to combat it. So NASA then makes this information available to the global community, the public, uh, policy and decision makers, and scientific and planning agencies around the world. Uh, so for more information, you can see NASA's website on that, nasa.gov. Um, but if you want to do your own research, the following resources from U.S. government organizations provide information um, about options for responding to climate change. So if you are interested, and I'll, I'll provide this in the show notes, um, these uh, agencies take NASA's data and they actually put it into actionable steps for you. So you can look up the Climate Data Initiative, the U.S. Climate Resilience Toolkit, the National Ocean Ah, sorry, <laughs> the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration (NOAA), the National Climate Assessment of 2014, the U.S. Department of Energy, the Environmental Protection Agency, State of California's Climate Change Portal, and the UN Framework on Climate Change. Um, now, like I said, I'll have those listed, but the list actually goes on. There are there are tons of people that, um, you know, take NASA's research and they actually implement it into a, some advice for the general population. So, um, you know, NASA helps, but it's not claiming to be this, you know, kind of 
one-stop shop for all the advice you need on climate change. And so a lot of the research for continuing in this you know, uh, episode and, and my research has come from them, those initiatives as well. Uh, super helpful. So like we said, because NASA is already committed to some level of climate change, they have kind of taken, um, you know, for people who don't want to look through all those <laughs> agencies and things like that, they have gone through them and taken or published rather kind of a two-pronged approach to what they collectively view people are saying about climate change. And so that's what they call mitigation and adaptation. So mitigation uh, is basically reducing climate change and the effect that we have moving forward. So this includes uh, reducing the flow of heat-trapping greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, either by reducing sources of these gases, like burning fossil fuels for electricity or heat or transport, or enhancing what they call sinks that accumulate and store these gases, like, like oceans, forests, and soil. So the goal of mitigation, this first step, is to avoid significant human interference with the climate system and to stabilize, this is quote, and I quote, to stabilize greenhouse gas levels in a time frame sufficient to allow ecosystems to adapt naturally to climate change, uh, to ensure that food production is not threatened, and to enable economic development to proceed in a sustainable manner. So this is about moving forward. Um, it's about looking back to, to learn what we've done in the past, but it's about mitigating the risk in the future. And the second prong is adaptation. First, we had mitigation. Now we have adaptation. And this is adapting to life in a changing climate. You know, this involves adjusting to actual or expected future climates because the damage that we've done, there are repercussions from that. And it's not like God is punishing us. It's not that kind of, um, you know, weird punishment. I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm talking about our causes have effects. And this adaptation stage is us thinking, okay, like our Earth's climate is going to be temperamental. We're going to have to deal with it. Um, the goal is to reduce our vulnerability to the harmful effects of climate change, like sea level encroachment, uh, more extreme weather events, food insecurity. Um, I mean, even with the pandemic, you guys have noticed that food, well, you know, most of our grocery stores are still stocked, but if this pandemic was bigger and people were getting sick, like our farmers and our manufacturers, then we wouldn't have food. And climate change is just another beast and one that's far less easy to control once it's, uh, once it's out there. So it also encompasses making the most of any potential beneficial opportunities associated with climate change, like uh, longer growing seasons and increased yields in some reasons uh, for farmlands. So throughout history, people and societies have adjusted to and coped with changes in climate and extremes with varying degrees of success, right? So climate change, uh, drought in particular, has been at least partly responsible for the rise and fall of civilizations. I mean, Earth's climate has been relatively stable for the past 12,000 years, and this stability has been crucial, crucial for the development of our modern civilization and life as we know it. But modern life is tailored to the stable climate we have come so accustomed to. And as our climate changes, we will have to learn to adapt. And the faster the climate changes, the harder it could be. So this second step of adaptation is really important because we make all these predictions. We don't actually know how, how harsh it's going to be. Um, and while climate change is a global issue, it's still felt on, on local scale, making cities at the front line of this adaptation stage. So in the absence of, how should I say, um, current national or international climate policy direction, there's a lot of disagreements on this. Um, that's a different episode on the Paris Agreement. Cities and local communities around the world have been focusing on solving their own climate problems. 
Um, like we said last time, you know, climate is not a political issue. You should not be divided if you are a Republican and a Democrat. That climate change should not divide you. Um, climate policy, for some reason, is being treated this way, but um, everyone had a hand in changing the climate, and everyone will have to deal with its consequences. Whether you're a Green Party, uh, Independent, Republican, or Democrat, no matter who you voted for, and so in our local communities, they're working on you know building flood defenses. Uh, they're planning for heat waves and higher temperatures. Some are installing water permeable pavements to better deal with floods and stormwater and improve water storage and use. Um, so climate change is is starting to be factored into a variety of development plans as well, like how to manage the increasingly extreme disasters we are seeing. Um, and their associated risks, how to protect coastlines and deal with sea level encroachment, how to best manage land and forests, how to deal with the plan for reduced water availability, and how to develop resilient crop varieties, how to protect energy and public infrastructure. There's so much that goes into trying to fix or prepare for what climate change can cause. So things are being done on a global and even local scale, and not enough maybe, but they are being done. Um, but I know you're probably wondering, Okay, that's great. I, my city doesn't do that. I don't know what city does, but uh, I mean, I trust you, I guess. But what can I do? What can you do? Um, what does NASA say that we can do? Um, you know, in our homes, we've all seen that checklist online of, you know, 10 things you can do to save energy around the house. And there are many things that we can do in our homes, like, uh, you know, reusable substitutes for plastic products. Like um, for Christmas, my sister got me reusable sandwich bag. Yeah, literally a sandwich bag that I can wash which I hated at first, like, just give me a freaking box of plastic bags. Yeah, then I did the research. Those aren't super good for the environment. And when you wash your plastic bags, it's surprisingly good um, exercise for mindfulness. So those have been really good. Um, you can get reusable water bottles, but uh, everyone focuses on things you could do around the house. And while I genuinely believe that changing our habits at home makes a difference in the spirit in which you live your life and inspire others. Like, um, like when you vote and I'm not going to get political here. I know you guys hate that, but, um, actually two of you love it, but, um, I know you hate that. Um, but you know how sometimes when you vote, you, you kind of ask yourself, does my single vote counts? Do I, do I feel like it actually counts? Like if electoral votes is the way it's going to go, should I really go out and vote? And you think not really. I mean, just the fact that you, um, that you go out to the polls and, and you, you cast your vote and it's one number up and last election or, or it wasn't even decided by popular vote. But here's the thing. Just the fact that you did enough research to vote on an informed decision makes you more able to spread the word of your views, Republican or Democrat. I don't, I don't care. Um, but the more able you are to spread your views, the more able you are to inspire others to change their own views. And the same is true with energy saving techniques. So um, moving to a more sustainable lifestyle, it's, it's, not a, it's not about the negligible difference you make to our carbon footprint. And I know people will disagree with that. It's not about that. It's about the indirect effects. It's about how many people will see you change and affect that. Like my sister changed to a very um, sustainable lifestyle. And I'm, I'm, cautious, or I'm aware of this, like of climate change. And I, I didn't even start doing that until she got me those plastic bags until she started telling me about reusable products. And so, um, it's, it's about the little things in that. So, so do those things. And I'll tell you a little bit more about it. You know, last time I talked about this, people got mad because I didn't include things you can do around the house. So I have a list at the end, but, um, I do want to take this time to focus on something else. And NASA calls them green careers. 
you know, you can actually go to school to become an earth scientist studying glaciers, uh, an ocean scientist studying coral reefs, uh, or like a systems engineer for an environmental satellite. Uh, I have some case studies here, just a couple um, people who do these things. Kimberly Casey is an earth scientist who studies glaciers and ice sheets. Uh, she focuses on how particles from land and the atmosphere end up in the ice and impact the ice melt. And when asked if she had any advice on how to get a job like hers, she recommends studying math, science, and computer science. Also, stay curious about the processes happening all around you. Air, water, rock, and biological cycles are fascinating. Anyone can observe clues of these cycles if they are patient, present, and perceptive of their environment. You can also volunteer to help a scientist, park ranger, or engineer. Gaining experience in different jobs or activities can really help you find your passion. One thing I want to say to Kimberly Casey's uh, comment there is that she recommends studying math, science, and computer science. Now, a lot of you know my story. Some of you don't. Computer science was one of those things that was always super daunting. It sounds really technical. It sounds really complicated. It is technical. It gets hard, but it's it's rather simple and straightforward learning process. And if you guys are kind of intimidated, don't be. These computer science courses are meant to start you as a beginner. And so I encourage you to try it out if you're if you're feeling like you want to follow Kim Kimberly's kind of path there. The second one that we have is Eric Hochberg, and he is an ocean scientist that gets to ride around the world in boats and planes studying coral reefs. He says just to enjoy nature and follow your joy. As you explore your love of nature, you'll want to do more and more and your interest will grow over time. Now, if you want um, or if you do what you enjoy, it will lead you to new questions than to finding the answers to those questions. And then lastly, Sarah Sherman is a systems engineer that worked on the planning, development, testing, and launch of SMAP, or Soil Moisture Active Passive. And it's the spacecraft that orbits Earth and looks at how much water is in the soil, which will help us understand a lot more about the water and energy cycles on Earth. You can also be a recycling program coordinator or a green building contractor. Um, if you're curious about jobs that you can work on in your area, just go to Google and search anything from environmental jobs plus your location, sustainable jobs plus your location, sustainability jobs, green jobs, bioenergy jobs, biofuels jobs, geothermal jobs, solar, hydroelectric, ocean, hydrogen jobs, wind, green design, recycling, water quality, clean car manufacturing, natural sciences, um, energy efficient construction, farm jobs, so many more. Um, by the time you get to the bottom of the list, I'm sure you'll find something. Um, so there, there are so many things that you can do. If you don't think that doing things around the house will affect as many people, then check it out. I mean, <laughs> we're in a, we're in a quarantine. I'm sure there is endless of online courses that you could find uh, getting you started in some of these, maybe some colleges that are offering online. Um, I know Harvard, MIT are offering online courses for free. So check it out. Um, these, these are some really interesting jobs, but fine. You know, the, the, the kind of section that you guys have been waiting for, <laughs> um, what are things that you can do at home? Um, to help with climate change. And I found seven things that you can absolutely do um, to kind of help shift your mindset. Um, so let's dive into them. Number one, you can swap incandescent light bulbs for the new compact fluorescent lights or CFLs. They use 25% as much energy and give the same light. They last 10 times longer. The reason why this is a big deal is because we um, kind of produce greenhouse gases when we make these so if you um, are using it um, something that lasts 10 times longer it lowers the demand for them number two you can turn off lights tvs computers when you do not need them just to save 
energy. The less energy we need, the less energy we will get by burning fossil fuels. Third, unplug any electronic gadget you can turn off with a remote, uh, TV, PS4, Xbox. Um, it uses power even when it's off. So appliances with a digital uh, clock, like a coffee maker or a power adapter, um, like a laptop computer or something, these all suck power while they're plugged in. So unplugging these kinds of things into a surge protector or a power strip um, that has an on and off switch would help. Uh, we do we didn't get the fancy ones, but we got these knockoff Chinese brand um, Amazon plugs that we plugged in. And there's an app on my phone that we could just unplug them all. I could actually click a button on my phone, just one button that turns off all my switches. And I say all like I have a ton or a big house. No, I have like 900 square feet and four switches. So it's not it's not a lot, but that can help, too. Number four. There are even power strips that glow to show you how much power is going through them. Uh, power strips you can control right from your phone. So I know it's similar to number three, but um, yeah, it's a little more expensive, but you can have it accessible by your phone, which is great because I'll crawl into bed and then I'll look at the door and I realize that I left the light on and that's the worst, <laughs> but my phone is right next to me. Number five, you can turn the thermostat uh, or turn off the thermostat when you can. Uh, sweaters, blankets, and socks are good for you. They're better for the planet, and they don't cost money or energy in the winter. Number six, walk or ride your bike instead of taking a car everywhere. That doesn't really apply right now because you should not leave the house. Uh, I won't stand on my pedestal about um, quarantining. You guys should all be quarantining. <laughs> the only sentence that I want to say to you guys is even if you feel fine, um, you may not feel any symptoms for the first two weeks you have it. So do everyone around you a favor and don't go out of the house unless you need to. That would be appreciated by people like me who have um, immune systems that are compromised. So thank you for that. Um, but on that note, even a two-mile car trip puts two pounds of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So if you have to ride, consider carpooling. Uh, actually makes a difference. Um, and then number seven, stay out of the drive-thru. This is one that I found actually it was really interesting. When you go to a fast food place... Um, um, ask everyone in your car if you go with people, I don't know, uh, if you can park the car and walk inside rather than sitting in a line of cars because, yeah, you're not wasting a ton of gas, but you're emitting CO2 that entire time. So just something to think about. I know that that was kind of a wall of sound. Didn't have a, a co-host today um, during quarantine. We'll figure something out. I know Flo's coming home soon and, and Joe and I have some um, episodes lined up, but I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to um, you know, stay caught up with us, please follow us on Instagram. That's going to be your main source for all podcast updates. Um, yeah, they're a little more sporadic now. Um, things are a little bit harder. I've picked up um, another job because this quarantine is, is hard on everyone and uh, we decided to do that. Um, so if you'd like to support us, check out our YouTube channel, check out our Patreon page, um, and you can view everything by going to spacebuttmessier.com. So, um, thanks for listening and we'll see you guys when we see you. Bye-bye. One giant leap for mankind. Oh, he's definitely an e-ticket.